spirit that lives in them realize is in the knowledge of you. I pray that we, only by your help, that we would begin to see what you see. That we would know what you know. Specifically, I pray that, Father, you would open our eyes to see what you see about the Father. That we would know what you know about the Father. So, Lord, I pray for your eyes to be open. I pray for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to know your people in Jesus' name. Okay. Um, I'm going to continue this thought on holiness and the mind of the Lord. Now, last week I talked about the mind of the Lord in Psalm 139. So, I won't recap. I feel like I kind of need to, but I don't have time to do that. There's a lot of things I said last week that will help make sense to today. And I don't have the time to really recap a lot of thought. So, go back if you need to. If you weren't quite here last week, go back last week and listen to that message. You can find it on the podcast. Um, last week, it is called Holiness, the Mind of the Lord. And it'll kind of help you just understand what I'm going to say today as it relates to the mind of the Lord. Okay? And the, the whole idea that I want us to continue to, to dig with is the idea that, uh, it's not just an idea, it's the truth that Christ lives in you. Okay? Christ is in you is the hope of glory. Okay? Christ is in you, I believe, is the... Um, I believe Christ within you, the message, the reality, the truth of Christ within you was the crowning revelation of Paul. It says in Galatians 1 that it pleased the Father to reveal Christ in me. Okay? It was the Father's pleasure over Paul to show Paul, hey, listen, brother. Listen, brother. Christ lives in you. And that was what Gentile church took to the church is saying, listen, Christ within you is the only hope that we have of coming alive and stepping into the fullness that we were called to be. Because it's Christ within you that He lives His life in you. That is the walk of faith. The walk of faith, according to Paul in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God. In other words, I live by His faith. I live by what He knows to be true. I live by His knowledge of the Father. I don't live by my knowledge of the Father, right? My thoughts are kind of, you know, Becca talked about good days, bad days. I have good days, bad days. There's days when I have that there's thoughts I have about the Father that, yeah, they're probably pretty close to the way Jesus thinks. And there's some days that they're totally contrary to the way that Jesus sees the Father, right? And so that's not any, ne- I'm not trying to, you know, bring a negative thing on the room, but what I am saying is there's a guy who can fix it. Jesus, right? By his spirit, he wants to give us his eyes, his knowledge about the Father. And when we begin to experience what he knows to be true about the Father, See what he knows about the Father, then that's where transformation comes in. And that's where we go, whoa, I have no idea that Father is so good. Okay? And we're going to go deeper into this, so just hang tight. Okay, so I'm going to read some things to you. Again, I've been in this whole uh, childish season a 
I love to write uh, this little small book, the gift that the Lord's given me, that makes me come alive. Uh, when I write, it, the Lord starts speaking to me. How many have something in your life? When you do something, you start coming alive. Right? And it doesn't have to be churchy, you know. How many have ever seen Tales of Father? The guy says, I love to run, and when I run, I feel the pleasure of the Father. Running is secular, and church is secular. And what I think God is doing in this generation is He's breaking down the dividing wall of secular to secular. In other words, if you're in Christ, I don't care if you're fishing, hunting, speaking in tongues, preaching the gospel, it's all in Christ. Right? So we can't, we, you know, we say, well, God did that, God did that, you know, whatever, and we start to you know, we say, well, what that guy does is not important what I do. Well, I have a pulpit, so I'm really holy and sacred. And, and the guy who's, who's claiming toilet, he's not, you know, he's just sacred. That's secular. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie of separation. There's no separation in the union of Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why Paul said, whatever you do, whether you claim toilet, preach the gospel, wash the cars, sell a car, Go to school, do it as unto the Lord. In other words, Paul is trying to break down the dividing wall of sacred and secular. And I wonder if Father was just as pleased with Jesus hammering nails as he was casting out devils. Did you hear me? I wonder if Father was just as pleased with Jesus being faithful, showing up to hammer nails as he was cleansing lepers. I say, yes, he was. Right? So whatever you do, do it as under the Lord. It's worship. You know? It all matters in life. Okay? Okay. Uh, that's not my message, but... Okay, so Matthew 12. Real quick, two keys I want us to get before we dive into this. Because if you don't get this, you probably not. What I say is not going to make sense. Number one, a key for today, you're taking notes, you can write this down. I said this last week, but I've got to say it again. Number one is when we go to the Scriptures and we read our Bible, we must, number one, be willing to embrace symbolism over literalism. Whenever we go to the Scriptures, we must be willing to look that's what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying, in symbolism, imagery, metaphors, whatever, over literalism. Let me explain. We know Jesus taught in parables, right? How many know that in this room? Matthew 13 says that when he taught, he taught in parables. Parables are stories or truths that are made up through imagery. Okay? The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like seed. The kingdom is like wheat. The kingdom, the kingdom is a seed. The kingdom is a wheat. He's saying it's life. He's using, you know, similes. He's painting a picture for the disciples. It's like this. In other words, what he wanted to do with the parable was he wanted you to get involved in the journey of finding out what the truth of what he was saying. See, this is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father loves participation. 
He loves to take you by the hand and bring you along in life. Right? See, see we think following Jesus is Jesus up here and, and we're way back there. When the heart of Jesus is actually to take you and to, to yoke you with Him side by side because He loves participation. That's why when He turned the water into wine, Jesus didn't walk onto the scene and say, Boys, I got you. Part the water. No, what did He do? He called for the servants to join Him into turning the water into wine. Now, He turned the water into wine. It was Him doing the miraculous. But nonetheless, He included people in part of serving the wine. Because God loves to share. He loves to meet you where you're at, whether you're in the woods, whether you're in, on, in the pulpit, whether you're in church or at home. He wants to meet you where you're at because He wants to meet you in your present revelation of who you think He is and say, listen, let's talk about it. Right? And we've got to learn to do this with one another in life is, is not become uh, critical towards one another wherever we're at. If we're at point C, it's not right for us, it's not godly, it's not father-like, father-heart of God to look at A and say, oh, you're in A. Hopefully someone day you'll make it to C, where I am. That's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father meets us if, if, if Father is, actually Father is A to Z, because you at the beginning, but you get what I'm saying. If Father's at Z, and you're at A, He doesn't say, hey, get your stuff together, get to Z, and when you, when you come to Z, we'll talk. Right? What he does is he, he jumps over to A to meet you. He'll speak the language of A. He'll talk your language, even though it may be wrong. He'll speak your language in order to meet you, to call you up to his language. That's why with Abraham, when he said, go sacrifice, when he said, I want worship, here's what I think's happening. This is R.I.D., Robbie Interpretative Version. When he met with Abraham, and Abraham began this process of faith, Abraham thought the right thing to do was to sacrifice his son. Because the culture in which he lived, sacrificing your child was normal. It was actually the way to please your God was to sacrifice your own child. Right? If you study the, 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 that culture of that day, and it, it was normal. That's what they thought appeased their God and pleased their God was sacrificing your child, specifically your firstborn, the highest order of worship. So Abba meets Abraham and speaks his language of child sacrifice, then gets him up on the mountain, and then just about the time where he's getting ready to do what was not right in the heart of the Father, says, Stop! That's not the way I speak. But I brought you to a point that I knew I had to speak your language in order to get you to a place that then I could speak and speak my word. I'm going to bring my sacrifice to my son. Right? Abba meets you where you're at. Whether you're having a good day, you're killing it in prayer, or you're having a bad day. Right? That's on the scene of Lazarus. Mary comes up weeping. What I want Jesus to do is be like, Mary, stop weeping. I'm going to turn this thing upside down. Woo-hoo-hoo. But what does he do? He, he, he weeps with her. He gets down in the dirt. He puts his hands and feet there. Ladies, he weeps with her. He's speaking her language. Right? 
against Mary, when Mary's looking, nobody knows what happened to Jesus. Mary goes to the grave house, and Jesus shows up, speaks to her, and says, uh, first, she thinks it's the gardener. How veiled are we, guys? The resurrected Jesus, you think he's still in the ground. What in the heck? Like, Mary's missing it. But Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't call her Mary yet. He actually speaks the language of what she just heard. Because before Jesus gets there, the angel says to her, Dear woman, Jesus shows up, he thinks it's the gardener, and what does he say? Dear woman. He meets her in her present revelation, and then he says, That name actually means beloved. We've always said it means bitter. It actually means beloved. God turned the bitter into beloved and the sour. Some of us are eating the bitter pill of religion, and God said, I'm coming to wash that thing away with beloved. I'm coming to show you, I'm calling you by your name, beloved. And when it said, Mary, Jesus is not a feline cat. Right? Jesus 
just not in alignment. Why is this not literal or literal union? Right? You have to have rules and all of this. You can say, I'm right. It's metaphorical. It's speaking of something of deeper truth. He's the lion. He's fierce in protecting his people, in protecting his domain, his kingdom. But he's also a lamb. He's lowly. He'll, he'll stoop down to wash the feet. He's humble like a lamb. Right? So we don't, you know, Jesus doesn't, the revelation says he has a sword coming out of his mouth. Jesus isn't walking around with a sword hanging out of his mouth. Right? It's imagery that when Jesus speaks, it cuts, it penetrates, it has authority and power. Amen? And number two is we must insert ourselves into the story. Whenever you read in the Bible, beloved, insert yourself into the story, into the narrative. If you're reading Genesis, insert yourself into the story. If you're reading John, insert yourself into the story. 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is profitable for correction, rebuke, and reproof in order that the man of God, man man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, all Scripture is applicable. You can take any place in Scripture and apply it to your life. And I showed you last week, Psalm 139, where David is talking about some things that are quite confusing. There's actually some imagery in there. Again, I don't have time to go into that, but listen to last week's teaching. Okay, you guys with me? Uh, so, let's jump into Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, or um, I am reading from the Passion Translation. John, do we have those ready? Sweet. better do good because your girlfriend's going to come if you don't, okay? So, retires out, so she called the boyfriend, so come do this today, so he, he will report back to her, okay? So, anybody ask you, if I ask you how John did, what are you going to say? Did a great job, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, so, we're going to read, uh, I want to read one verse, verse 33. In Matthew 12, I wish I had time to really read more. But, but just remember, symbolism over literalism, and insert yourself into the story. And I want us to find ourselves in this story. So this is going to talk about Nineveh, Jonah, yada, yada, yada. That's all imagery to show us that we are actually, this is us. He's talking about This is applicable. Okay, so look at verse 33. Jesus, let me say this real quick, Jesus teaches in this, in this chapter, as well as many other chapters, He teaches on the inner reality of the human race. In other words, He teaches on the heart and the mind of the human race. Remember that, right? How many believe that all Scripture is applicable? Right? It's to train us how to walk in God. Amen? There's not a portion of Scripture that you cannot apply to your life. Even if you read it, you go, what the heck is going on? Right? People killing each other. There's all of this stuff going on. There's a truth. There's an applicable truth that we can apply to our life. Okay? And we'll talk more about that. So, but we must remember that. Jesus, in Matthew 12, teaches on the inner reality of the human race. 
teaching and teaching on the heart and the mind. In verse 33, he's talking about the heart, okay? You must determine if a tree is good or right. You can recognize good trees by their delicious fruit, but if you find rotten fruit, you can be certain that the tree is rotten. The fruit defines the tree. Okay? Now let me ask you, is Jesus talking about a literal tree? talking about? Uh, more specifically, what's he talking about? Heart and our mind, right? This is what Jesus is going after. Religion says it's the exterior that defines you. Jesus says it's the interior that defines you, right? Your DNA defines who you are, and last time I checked, I was born from above. I was expecting a big amen been redeemed a little bit. Right? You've always been adopted. We just didn't know it. We've always been adopted. We just didn't know it. Read Ephesians 1. Paul says it's always been the plan for God to adopt. It's, you've always been adopted. We just didn't know it. We did Hamartia. Sin, the, the New Testament word for sin is Hamartia. To have a wrong judgment about the Father and you. To have a wrong mindset concerning him, his thoughts, and who you are in him. That's the effects of sin. Sin is attacking, lying, drinking, stealing. Those are outward acts of a deeper issue of what you believe to be true about the Father and about yourself. Amen? Okay, so, right. so he's teaching about, he's using the imagery of truth. And Jesus constantly taught, let me just read some things here, Jesus. Jesus constantly taught using parables. Images, metaphors, allegories. How many love the movie um, Language from the Woodwork? I love it. So we all read the book. It's images, allegories, telling a deeper truth of the kingdom, right? So Jesus used these parables, and trees are imagery of who we are at the core. It's our heart. Then in verse, let's go to verse 34. Pharisees are rotten to the core. Then in verse 41, 
we, we start talking about the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh will also rise up on the day of judgment to accuse and condemn this generation. Look this. For they all repented. Somebody say repented. That word in the Greek is metanoia. If you're taking notes, we're going to talk about that here in a second. They all repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah, yet you have refused to repent. Metanoia. And there is no, there is one greater than Jonah who is preaching to you today. Who is that? Okay? Let me sum this down for you. Jesus starts teaching on the heart. The heart, the very core, the tree of who you are. And out of that will flow the acts of good or bad behavior. Right? So he's talking about the heart. Then he starts talking about Nineveh. And I used to read this and be like, what in the world? Jesus changed the subject. How many ever read the Psalms and David is like, oh, the Lord, oh, and the next minute, well, actually, God says my soul. I'm like David. I'm like that sometimes. You know, come out of a conference, you're like, dancing in the field on Monday and then Tuesday, I'm like, I'll go. 
been here before. I'm looking around and there's a lot of visitors and just like, I believe Ned is coming back. Honey, get the kids. Let's get the car. Let's go home. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus changes the subject, verse 41. Let's read that again because I know y'all are still in the answer. The people of Nineveh will also rise up on the day of judgment to accuse and condemn this generation. For they all repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah, and he refused to repent. But there is one greater than Jonah who is uh, preaching to you today. And there's that Jesus. He's the greater Jonah. He's the greater David. He's the greater Joshua. He's the greater Moses. You just fill in the blank for years because you're all that. Right? He's the greater Jeremiah. You just fill in the blank. He's the greater. He's higher. And I want us to know, I want us to understand something here. I want us to see something. Again, Jesus isn't talking literally. So Jesus is talking about the man of Nineveh will arise to condemn this generation, accuse this generation. When you take that literally, it makes no sense. Jesus is speaking in images. Jesus is painting a picture. Okay? Let me read this. In this verse, he goes on to talk about the men of Nineveh. Where men represent mindset and thought patterns. Go back and listen to the next last week's teaching. Men represent mindset or thought patterns. I'm just going to let that sink in just for a second. Men of Nineveh. Men in Scripture. It's not literal. It's images. Last week I talked about David in Psalm 139. You guys have read this psalm. David is declaring the thoughts of the Lord. You read Psalm 139, it's like the thoughts of the Lord. They're beautiful. He knows my rising. He knows my falling. When I go up high, He's there. When I go down low, He's there. When I go east, west, He's there. He knows me. He knows me. That's why he says, so soon know my thoughts, right? David's seen the thoughts, the mind of the Lord, when he sees his mind, he's like, oh, I need your mind, right? And then he, he, he stops after verse 18, he changes the subject, if you read it in the natural, but if you read it in the spirit, David's saying something. He says this. He says, oh God, come and slay these bloodthirsty, murderous men. Can read it. Go to the pastor. Any, 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 any translation. David is speaking about the thought, the mind of the Lord. Oh, it's beautiful. It's more numerous than the sands of the sea are his thoughts towards me. And then David in verse 19, like, again, I said last week, is David bipolar? Like, because he, he like changes from beautiful thoughts of the Lord to God, come and slay these bloodthirsty men. Like, what happened, David? Did you have a bad cup of coffee or something, David? Like, what happened? What I believe David is doing is he's, he's talking about the mind of the Lord, and then he picks up on another thought, a frequency that is not true to the mind of the Father, and he says, come and slay these men, the mindset, the thought patterns that wage war against you. We know Abba isn't killing people, right? It's not the Abba revealing Jesus to kill people. So David is speaking a mystery, a truth that's saying, listen, I'm picking up on your thoughts, and there's another thought that's trying to come in. It's 
the one that started in the garden. It's the Adamic mindset, Adam's mindset, the fallen mindset. There's something else going on. And you say, God, come and slay that thought. Come and wage war on that thought. Anything that comes against the knowledge of who you truly are, Abba Father. Right? That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, he starts talking in the same language as David talks in Psalm 139. He says, every vain imagination, every speculation, we must tear it down. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of who he is and what he knows to be true, what he seems to be true, you and I must wage war on that thought and take it down to the glory of Jesus. That's why everyone in this room, you are like David. David's not some guy that we're trying to attain to. No, the son of David lives in us and he wants to manifest his mind in us. He wants to manifest his battle against any way that we see the Father that is contrary to the way that he sees the Father. Does that make sense? That's why we see, we don't war for something, we work from something. Paul said, you have the mind of Christ, you have the key of David, the key of David that's on the shoulder of the priest. What, what rests on the shoulders of you and me? Not a trick question. What is sitting on the top of your shoulders right now? Your head. Isaiah 22, 22 says that I will put on my priest the key of David. I put on their shoulders the key of David. I always thought the key was prayer, worship, intimacy, those things. And last week the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. I'm sitting in my recliner and he said, you want to know what the key of David is? That I'm going to put on the shoulders of my priest, of my people? I was like, sure. He says, what sits on top of your shoulder? Revelation tells us the key of David will open doors that no man can shut, and it will shut doors that no man can open. In other words, when you have the mind of Christ, your heart will open up to things that man cannot shut. The door there is not a door. It's not that, it's not that. The door is the door of your heart. When you have the mind of the Lord, your heart will begin to open up to things that man cannot open you up to. Right? That is the key of David. Am I going there? Okay. Are y'all done? Any preaching? Just say it. I mean, he's the preacher. A little passive aggressive there. Love you, Dad. I love you, man. Hey, let's give these sound men a hand clap. I love these guys. These guys are, are musicians. Musicians aren't just the ones on stage. They are musicians, right? And they honor this team of musicians. So where men, I'm not going to get through all this, and, and Jesus, I've only got through my first paragraph. Can I preach the first okay? But I want to get through it all. Get all of it. Where men represent mindsets and thought patterns, men of us, listen to this, represent Jesus changes the subject if we 
read it in a literal sense, but in the spirit, he's saying right this second. Nineveh represents wickedness. In other words, Jesus is addressing wicked, toxic, entangled thought patterns. He is addressing the Nineveh in us. Anything that you make with your hands or that is made, that is seen, that represents an unseen. Let's just say this is an idol. It's made. Made by the man's hands. If I were to worship that skull, let's say that this skull represented, I don't know, somebody knows that. This skull represented the sun. I make this skull to represent the sun, and I worship this skull, this image, that which I see, that represents the worship of what I do not see. Does that make sense? In other words, the idol points to the unseen. That's what idols to Nineveh were. They were worshiping God figures, and worshiping that, the seen, it represented worshiping the unseen. The basic truth that just had to make sure we're on the same page. Nineveh was known for making those idols and worshiping the idol to represent their God. Okay? The people imagined their God responded to the worship of those idols. So, in other words, you could say idols are images. Images of the mind is what we call imagination. Right? Imagination. Imagination. What's Paul going after in 2 Corinthians 10? Imagination. What's David going after in Psalm 139? Imagination. Mindset. Thought patterns. Imaginations are powerful. It's the one, one dictionary defines imagination as the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Imagination is powerful in the sense that it can take the unseen realm and it can make it seemingly real. One can make things seem real or tangible by simply imagining them. The point is, we have imagined gods that quite simply do not exist. That's what he's going after in Matthew 12. You're worshiping a god that does not exist. I've come to reveal
That's his why we need his money. This is the key of that. Imagination is powerful. How many in this room can say, I've had a thought come into my mind that I entertained it and I imagined it for so long that it actually seemed so real? We create illusions with our own minds. The unredeemed mind will wander off from the way of Jesus. illusions about who Abba Father is, and the less we deal with those images, imagination, go gray, and we'll begin to have a much bigger issue in our hearts that Jesus says, listen, I'm coming to fix the image of who you've made him to be, and he is none other than the Father. See, see this is what, what we've done, is we've taken Father as one attribute among many attributes. Yeah, so we've taken the one attribute to be one among many. In other words, we said, well, God's a father, but, but he's also a judge. Right? I thought this way before. So what happens is, is there's this duplicity in me when I approach the, the other father, please, in prayer or whatever, and I go, hey, you're a father. And let me say, thank God I have a, an amazing father. I know not everybody does. However, let me say this too. You can, raise, you can be raised in the midst of amazing home and still have issues. <laughs> well, you should have been brought up in a good home. Well, I live in an amazing home and I have issues. Right? If your father be good, how much more is your heavenly father? We need to have much more movement in this area. We need a revelation of who he is. I don't care if you come from the worst home or the best home. There's still more, beloved. There's a better image that Jesus comes to paint of who the Father is. So we said, okay, there's Father, but then there's God. And so what we have is these two cells. So imagine, imagine this. Two cells. So Abba's in one, and Father's or judges in the other. And depending on your performance, determines which side of the scale is going to be heavier. Hmm? I know this is none of y'all. This is me. So I go into prayer and I'm like, oh, I had a great week, so that means that Abba Father is, is weightier. So I come under the weight of Abba Father. But then I have a bad week and the judge is heavier. So I walk into prayer. I probably don't even make it into prayer because I'm scared to death he's going to pound me Jesus says, I, Jesus says, I come to reveal Christ. He didn't say, I come to reveal the judge. I didn't come to reveal you name it, which are all true of the nature of God. The point is, is that everything that God does is out of the heart of him being a father. If God judges, he does it from the basis that he is a loving father who cares about growing you up into his nature. And I can get with that. I can't get with the God who's retributive and going to pound me over the head, and I'll, I won't even self the prayer to grow in the knowledge of Him because I'm afraid if I do, He's going to pound me over the head. Because He knows me, He searches me, He sees all things, and why would I go to prayer? 
right? I've just been taking the black robe off of his back and the gavel out of his hand in my life for that reason. We, we created Abba in the image of Western courtroom. Because Western courtroom says there's a judge that's seated really high, right? And then the defendant is down a little bit lower. And then the, uh, the defendant's in a seat. And then the attorney that's, that's on the defendant's side is, you know, right here. So this is Abba, Jesus, then us. And we better keep our mouth shut and not have any participation in this thing and just hide behind the attorney. This is the way we've seen Abba Father. This is the way we've seen the throne room. And there's so many people that they can't see past the throne room or the courtroom to see into the living room. We can't see Abba Father revealed in Jesus because we can't see past the court system in our current culture. And so we think Abba's just a little bit sick and if he has enough evidence, then he'll weigh in our favor. But thank God for Jesus, because I'm going to hide behind Jesus, and he doesn't see any part of me. And he's been getting rid of that whole courtroom system scene in my heart and showing me it's about the living room. It's about the Father's house. It's about Abba that rests and makes a table for all of us. Right? He's been going after this mindset. He's been uprooting and planting a new mind in me, and I'm seeing him do it. I'm seeing him do it across the earth in this beautiful sons and daughters coming over and speaking to them. And Jesus goes after this. It says in verse 25, Jesus supernaturally perceived this thought in their mind. He talks about the man in wrong mindset concerning him. And he says, they will rise up on the day of judgment to accuse and condemn if he Literally, if we read that literally, we're like, Jesus, are men of the universe going to be reincarnated and come back to haunt us? Jesus is speaking the image here. What he's saying, unless you deal with wicked, wrong mindsets, then they will come to condemn and to accuse you. This is not the Father. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus speaks of repentance. And men of Nineveh, in the same context, he is encouraging us to join with him against any wicked Ninevite within us. To repent, to take up his mind, the transcendent mind, the higher mind of anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of all the Father, seeing and knowing as Jesus sees and knows. This is why Paul speaks of tearing down thoughts, vain imaginations, taking Ninevites and throwing them down that exalt themselves against the knowledge of who Abba Father is. Let me read this and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. I promise. 
Men of this fall was that they, like their father Nimrod, exalted themselves against God's might. They imagined themselves greater than Abba. In other words, in other words, one man's imagination became a whole nation epidemic. Judges 21-25 tells us, in those days there was no head, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, what they saw to be true. That's what they did because there was no head on the shoulders. But Abba comes to put the shoulder to give David back on the head of the body and says, listen, I'm here to help. I'm here to break off any wrong mindset concerning who the Father is. And I'm telling you, beloved, there's a prayer that we're going to read that actually helps us to step into this. Because when you hear this, this is what you can, can be heard. Is, well, how do I deal with these thoughts? How do I tear down these vain imaginations? How do I do that? Well, I, mean, I want to do that, but how do I do that? Let me say Prayer is the key to tearing down these thoughts. Prayer through intimacy is the key to becoming like David who warred against anything that came against the knowledge of Abba Father. Prayer through intimacy. I'm telling you, beloved, this is it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll have to finish some of this later. I knew I probably wouldn't get done. Surprise, surprise, right? Ephesians <laughs> chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, going to And here's what I want to do. And this is why I had Becca pray this at the beginning, because, guys, I want to commission us. I want to challenge us to pray this prayer. If there's some in this room today that maybe you're battling in your mind and you've imagined that Abba Father is, is, is a way, is one way different than He truly is. And I feel like the Lord, I know the Lord wants to give us the mind of Jesus concerning who the Father is. We're going to pray for the knowledge of Jesus. Somebody say the knowledge of Jesus. Beloved, that's not a knowledge that you learn by intellect, by reading books. It's a knowledge. It's like Adam that knew you. It's relationship, it's intimacy with the Father, Son, and Spirit is the way that you get the mind. So I want to encourage us today, the knowledge of Jesus isn't about you reading more books about Jesus. That's okay, read those. But it's actually the knowledge of Jesus is possessive. It's his knowledge. Seeing as he sees, knowing as he knows. So let's, let's stand and pray this together. Can we have a musician come up? Thank you, Lord. I know I've repeated a lot of things that I've said over the last few weeks, but I really feel like this is where the Lord has us right now in this season. And uh, I just feel like He's, he's changing minds. Change minds will change a generation. Imagination. I 
believe you can get the imagination of a generation and can change a nation. Imagination. I believe that Abba is coming to fix the age-old issue of wrong mindsets concerning the cross. That the cross was the way into the mind of the human race. And I feel like Abba is releasing his mind through this prayer. Let's pray this. I pray, pray this with me. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know Him through your deepening intimacy with Him. Verse 18. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of His calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that is in His holiness. Come on. Come on. Some of us just need to lift our hands right now and just receive that instruction. Christ within you. Christ within you. the hearts and minds of your people right now. I feel like the Father is saying this morning that some of you have not felt worthy. Some of you have not felt beautiful. Some of you have not felt like enough. And the enemy has waged war on your mind to, to say, You're not 